Conversation with Bert uh, is totally awesome. I'm really excited. Yeah, Bert, this. Bert's awesome, man. He's awesome. He's like the, like, I, he's like the Papa Bear of my career. You know, like he's like he really is. Uh, without that, that people like me. this, so mine is a woman named Joan. But without without people like that, that push you out on the diving board, and they're like, you can go, go ahead, jump in. Uh, yeah, but, but to do happen. it in a kind of it and happen. and do. And doing it in a loving, caring way too. Yeah. Like one, one thing I really appreciate about Bert um, is that like he actually does not treat everyone the same, right? And that is an amazing skill as a leader, right? Uh, the army, well, anyway, he does not treat everyone the same. He's very much he curates his interactions with people, like based on. Point. It's a good point. I think you sort of have to. There was a sales leader at a company I worked at, and I hated this guy. Um, <laughs> But one of the few things that he said that I agreed with was he said, if you are to his sales team, he said, if you are selling a lot of software, you're going to get more of my attention. Just flat out, you are. If you're not selling software, you're not going to get as much of my attention. And I think that rings true. That doesn't mean you're rude to people, but like the, that rings true for legal. Like think about when you've run a commercial team or you're doing the commercial deals. Of course, your salespeople that are cranking and are busy and are like asking you pointed questions and are pushing back in the right way, of course they get your attention, you know. And that's that's probably what Bert's what Bert's mo. I'm guessing from from our conversation. Yeah, it, 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 be, it, it, you know, it, I support you because you're you're leaning in. Yeah, it, I think it's more than that too. By the way, like I also think Bert has tremendous compassion. So if if he sees you're in a tough spot or or not meeting your potential. He'll, he'll he'll pick you up, man. Like he was just good at this. He's a very compassionate person, and um, and this is why I call him the Papa Bear because, like, you know, I, for example, I worked with Bert for six years. I have a strong personality. I worked yeah, five or six years, um, and I've known Bert now seven or eight years, whatever it is. Uh, I've never seen Bert like lose his cool. I've never seen Bert like, you know, like I've definitely seen him be frustrated, and you know, of course, but like never, never, never seen his demeanor be hostile ever not one time and we worked at oracle in the trenches doing commercial deals like quarter end quotas and and demands and just never like i definitely can be like you know whatever like flustered but like he's just not like that and all and to your point about like attention you know it, it, the sales analogy lands in some ways but not in others because like his attention will be on you if you're being really successful and helping you amplify that but it'll also be there if like just had a rough month or a rough week or you're just not tracking on something that needs some you know some like additional uh, uh refinement or whatever yeah, i think the sales analogy needs expansion so because i think yeah, it, yeah. it's got to be you, you it's got to be people that want it you know if yeah. they don't want it then that was so bert made that point when we discussed it you know yeah you have to no one's going to look out for your career except for you really yeah so yeah if you're not looking out for your career, yourself, your life, your family, then you can't expect that from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And um, yeah, I'm excited to ask Bert about his hair too. Like, it, it's he, yeah, I know this is not, <laughs> the man's got the best head of hair. 
Um, and he's now a full silver fox. So we'll, we'll be able to see Bert in all of his glory here in a minute. But um, just a good guy, man. And like one more thing I'll say about Bert is uh, he's like a low key, deep intellectual, you know, like he is like, and I'm sure this will come through when we talk to him in a few minutes, but like he is uh, like a very methodical, calm thinker and very careful about how and what he communicates, right? And what he says, like where I am a lot more from the hip, like Bert is very, I don't want to use the word calculated because that's has a negative connotation, but he's very careful when he speaks that he's saying what he's thinking. And that is a tremendous skill um, that, uh, you know, I've learned from him on. Still working on it, right? I mean, that's, that's a Thanks. life, that's a lifelong pursuit for me to be able to, so so simple to think before you talk, but yeah. it's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put my foot in my mouth plenty of times, and yep. We'll, yep. we'll do it in the future, I'm sure. But I don't want to keep you from the pool, man. Get to the All pool, right, man. Let's get started. All right, here we are. We're we're here with Data Protection Breakfast Club with Bert Kaminsky at Google, and let's start, Pedro. Where are you right now? Yeah, this is not a Zoom wallpaper. I'm home. I'm in Miami, and uh, I'm working from uh, working from the pool. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's not so bad. It looks nice there. Well, Bert, where are you? Where are you talking to us from? New York. Uh, from, the, from the New York area. Yeah, I haven't been away uh, too far from here in a long time. And you know, Andy, it's starting to get warm, <laughs> uh, but we've got some cold days, so I'm looking forward to uh, taking a break and. Joining Pedro somewhere in Florida, maybe it's uh, it seems like the place to be. I think that's a good move, and obviously people are looking to to get to get to the warmer weather and you know get vaccinated and get moving around the country again, which which will hopefully hopefully happen you know sometime this year. It'd be great. Um, Probably. Yeah. Um, let's start with this. So, uh, Bert, you hired yeah, before, Pedro. Before, hold on, hold on, Dave, and. Andy, hold, hold. Before we get into like super substantive stuff, this is really important. <laughs> Me and you have known each other a long time. And like, as you can tell, uh, my hair is doing what it's doing and Andy's hair has been gone for some time. Um, how does your hair get better every time I see you? <laughs> my hair gets lighter every time you see me. So I don't know about better. <laughs> I've got it, but it's lighter. So <laughs> I, I, I heard hair in privacy. Yeah. Really? I think Lothar might disagree. <laughs> I'm a homer. I'm going with Bert. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to get that out of the way because, you know, it's like very important substantive material stuff. But now that we've got that out of the way, go ahead, Andy. Sorry. Okay, well, Bert and his hair hired Pedro. And so uh, I'm curious, like, uh, I know I know why I like Pedro, but you hired him. So like, what 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 brought you there and what led you to that decision? Because I th I'm pretty sure if I recall, you you hired him out of a law firm, right? And that's not always like, you know, not always the exact transition that in-house folks look for necessarily. They, they, they sometimes ask that question, will the person be able to do it? Yeah, no, great, great question. And there's, there's a lot of reasons why we would have hired, why I hired Pedro for sure. But, you know, I want to give the context of this is that that was the time Andy, when the when the uh, business, the legal model for supporting business, the cloud business was changing. You know, back then there wasn't really uh, as much of a, a, a firm understanding. Now it's been a few years, 
but it's it wasn't a firm understanding of the difference between a a dynamic emerging technology like cloud computing versus traditional licensing. So until the point where we hired Pedro and a number of other people around that time, it, the, the thought was is that we're good, we would hire people and build a team under kind of a traditional uh, in-house model where you're finding people who have done the same things before and it's all kind of licensing type of work. But we found that didn't work at all for the new demands of this emerging of this emerging business. So uh, we did a couple of things. First of all, I took the whole rule book of uh, of the profiles, the type of people, the, the the attributes we were looking for, and I put that aside. Uh, and then we also were getting many more people. So I wanted to make sure we had a team that was diverse in location, in background. Uh, uh, educational experience and that kind of thing. And Pedro uh, was a fantastic candidate. And I loved him as a candidate because he was everything that was not the traditional in-house licensing lawyer. This is what we needed for to build out a, a diverse team. And I mean diverse in the, in the cognitive way as, as well. We, we needed people who have done a lot of different things in life. One thing you did also, I believe, is that you, we also talked to Derek Zollner, who's now at Centro. Um, and so this is all back at Oracle. And, and Mark Parton is also at Oracle. He's now the chief privacy officer, like, who's another friend of ours. But like, you, you also, I think, brought in litigators, which I think is an interesting move to put them into not necessarily straight litigation roles. And so was that sort of the same, same thinking there? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a person that kind of fits what we need and and think think about that person as a as a whole. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, litigators. And by the way, you might know I used to litigate way back, way back when. Litigators have great skills, right? They're very fast on their feet, very agile thinkers. They're they're advocates. They're excellent writers. They pick up new topics. Uh, it is uh, you know they're they're very analytical. So there's very, very good skills in terms of litigators. Uh, and, um, and that's what we were looking for. We could teach the technology. We can teach the business model. You know, this is stuff that you can learn on the job. But the fundamental skills of lawyering uh, and, uh, and, and that depth of, uh, of uh, those attributes uh, is something that we were looking for. We're, we're looking, we were looking to hire people and not uh, resumes and and uh, and so um you know pedro was one example but uh, litigators uh, at large they had to be business minded though by the way andy uh, a, a key attribute of being in-house is and especially in technology it's got to be collaborative and forward-looking and business minded and customer centric and you know all these all these good things Anyone that had that uh, edge who was that kind of adverse, uh, risk-averse, combative um, type of personality would not have been a good fit. So it wasn't all litigators, but it was it was those who had those those key skills, and we could teach the rest. You know, and to the point, Andy, you were making a second ago, like, and I had to move inside for the Wi-Fi, but um, um, you know. If you look at Burke's like legs, like Burke's like Kevin Bacon degrees of separation chart, like there's people have gone on to do amazing, incredible things. Like you, we've mentioned a few names, but I'll give you some others. 
Adam Huff, who is now in like a super senior position at Oracle and has stayed there a long time. Um, Denise Butler, who's on my team here at Facebook doing incredible things. And, and, and there are um, uh, uh, folks that went to Google where Bird is now and um, folks that are general counsels, chief privacy officers all over the place. Like Bert, your legacy of like putting together talent and then somehow, well, not somehow, but like that tap, but the time on our team back at Oracle translating into bigger and better things for those people is a true testament to not just how you hired, who you hired, but also like how, you know, working alongside you in an organization you're running really help people kind of advance their skills and make themselves marketable for a really big challenge. Yeah, I felt it was really important, Pedro. I don't know how, you know, it's, uh, I, I hope you saw it the same way, but uh, I, I I wanted to have a uh, a, 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 a microculture for the team that we were on, that uh, that we would be, we could go and innovate, right? There were rules. There's always rules uh, on on how we had to uh, um, handle issues and deals, but we were there to not just rinse and repeat, but we needed to push the boundaries of that. And uh, and by creating, I, I hope it was a safe zone for everyone that, uh, you know what, this is, you guys, you know, be unleashed, go out and, and, uh, and handle and support your clients, be creative, be innovative. If, if there was a mistake, you know, we'll fix it and we'll learn from it. And that's the only way that we were able to build these businesses and create new models and draft new contracts. These things weren't on the shelf. And so that's the, the key thing that we would have in, in our teams is that I wanted people, and I, I, I guess we succeeded in that all collectively, that uh, we had people that just dove in there and, uh, and really were creative. I think that's relatively enlightened thinking. And, and that's not like to say um, that there aren't, aren't companies that think the same way, but I think that the, the data points that Pedro is mentioning with where people have gone on to do things, that, that's proof. That's proof positive that, that you do hire people and you don't hire them specifically in some sort of vacuum where they're only going to do certain things and it's super duper siloed. I talked to a chief legal officer the other day of a large public security company, and he was saying something to me like, it, it was sort of about about our about our company, a deal we lost several months before I even joined the company. But he was sort of saying it, it, the reflection was actually more on us than you, meaning our strictures, our process, the, the all of the things that needed to happen. Like I'm almost saying you're too innovative of a solution for us to have bought, even though many people in the company wanted to buy it. And so and so it was a cool conversation because it was he was being very like open and transparent with me. But what you just said, Bert, made me think a lot about that. Like he's in a position of basically saying, I think what I read from that conversation was I'd like to be more like what Oracle was doing, or I'd like our company to get there. And he's, you know, he's trying to do that inside that company, but it's a big challenge when you've got yeah. a machine. And, you know, it's, a, it's more than the company itself, but it, let's think of it from the individual, like a career path or, or you know, the well-being or happiness or career growth of, of any individual. Any business has to scale, right? All of our businesses, 50% year-over-year growth, 100% year, whatever the case be, these, these are highly, uh, highly growth-oriented, complex, rapidly evolving. So you need to scale. So, you know, there's, there's, there's truth to that. But, but 
I, I didn't want to have, an, or I didn't want to be part of a team that was going to be really an, an industrialized process, throughput, uh, you know, a factor of production where our role was just to do this and we hand it off and we stamped and then, you know, uh, you know we can draw any metaphors of Lucy on the assembly line or what, what have you. Uh, you know, we wanted to do things that were were not of of that industrial scale. You know, I mean, rather, but more, much more on the bespoke and creative. Really, kind of a, you know, the key reason to go to be a lawyer. Really, to do that kind of uh, that in, you know innovative and creative part. There, there was a study years ago, way, way before I joined at uh, at Google, called Project Aristotle. And they, they and the the goal of it, you know, Aristotle, because what was there was the quote that he said that um, that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and all that. So the the fig, the, the the theory was is that through uh, like machine learning, they could identify the optimal team. They can design the dream team, so they will find the all the right individuals with the right attributes and bring them together. So they they did the study. They, they uh, interviewed a lot of people, they put people together, they had PhDs and Rhodes Scholars and top universities. And what the result was, is that it wasn't a high performing team. And what they learned, it wasn't the individuals um, themselves, but it was the culture in which individuals operated. And if individuals operated in a culture where they felt safe, they were able to share, they could speak up and collaborate in, in those kind of ways. That was the definition of, uh, of a high performing team and not the resumes and not all of those credentials if, if you just sort of, uh, you know, assemble it in piece by piece like that. Have you all read, you know, 11, have you, Pedro, have you read 11 Rings, Phil Jackson's book? No. It speaks, to, it speaks to exactly what Bert just described. So you know, I'll finish what you were saying, but quick recommendation, you know, well, that's not a tech company that he was building, but um, that that's an incredible book to read through that legacy of that, of exactly what Bert was just describing, how you, how you get that team together. It's interesting to me, like how many companies do the opposite of what Bert just described in commercial legal teams, also privacy legal teams, just like in the legal department in general, which is to create a sort of like, I love the way you said it, Bert, like kind of an industrial kind of assembly line way of not really practicing law and just kind of pumping out stable, consistent kind of like results that are aligned with, you know, some arbitrary set of rules created infinitely in the past by people who don't work there anymore. Like this is what happens at so many companies. And like that inertia is very comfortable. Like that means you don't have to think, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to be, uh, you know, on the hook for the use of your judgment. But I, and that might be very, you know, comfortable for a lot of people. But I think for the most creative, like deep thinkers, that is incompatible with the way they go about their day. And so it's hard to both have a system that's super formalized and kind of uh, uh, built with, industrialized standards and then also try to hire the best people. I don't think those two things are compatible. It's a, it's a dangerous sign for the business once it gets into that mode of just doing more of the same. And, uh, you know, I don't know the exact numbers. There was some figure north of 50%. The top companies uh, in the year 2000, more than 50% of them are gone. 
and uh, and you know uh, GE, by the way, which I was at for a while, GE Digital. You know, that's that's a you know a textbook of example of a company. There's a lot of reasons, but but one can become an you don't want to become an incumbent, and once you get to be an incumbent, it's it's not just so much of the product, but it's the psychology of it. And you and you always want to avoid those. And you know it gets into a lot of these uh, these things. Pedro, I know that you're you're deep into this, but into uh, into biases. And I mean these kind of biases, uh, but like um, of, of these these cognitive biases, is that you kind of are groupthink, and you do what the same, and you get along, and you don't really um, raise objections, and uh, and you want to fit in, and uh, and this kind of thing, which in the short term is comfortable. And, and, and easy and safe, but it's not good for the business and it's not good for our careers. You know, as, uh, as lawyers, especially in-house lawyers, especially in big organizations, you really have to take command of what you do and uh, otherwise you're just gonna end up, you know, doing more of the same. How do you do that? You, you, I mean, I, you both have been in bigger companies, uh, much bigger companies. It's been a while since I've been in a bigger company. And when I was, it was, several thousand people it wasn't the size of of you know um google and facebook so how how do you you know you both are are and have run teams within larger legal departments so how do you do what you just said or how do you stand out how do you let the organization know um we're not making you know spacely sprockets and cogswell cogs from the jetsons we are here to we're here to you know, assist the business in, in the goals of the business, you know, the broader business, like it's not just, well, we sell ads, you know, it's, it's much more than that. How do you stand out? Yeah. You know, there, there was a senior vice president that at Oracle once that uh, took me aside and he was a hard bitten New York oriented guy. This guy, you know, the, uh, gave no quarter to fools or so. He was he was a he was a, a tough-minded guy, um, but once he got to trust you, he was a really good supporter and friend. And he took me aside once and says, he said this to me. He said, "I know what all my guys are telling me, all of his reports and I." But he says, "But I want, I turn to you because I want to know the truth." I want to know what's really happening. And you, and it really gets to be that type of thing, Andy, where you have to be viewed as a trusted advisor. Relationship building, right? You've got to, you've got to get out there and get out of your office, virtual or, or physical, and, and you've got to start meeting. Pedro is fantastic at this at, at Oracle and every place he's worked at. Um, get to know people, your teams, but your executives and other key stakeholders, because it's not just a vertical. It's, it's also cross-functional. And, uh, and getting to know people, building those relationships, getting those positions of trust, being transparent and telling like it is. Uh, I'll, one, one quick story is that there was a there was a, a fearsome executive, another one at, at Oracle, uh, and, uh, and there was a major uh, meeting that person was going to go into this executive. But this, the, the team around, including senior executives, were afraid to tell this individual some of the, the issues. And I felt it was my duty to, to go there. And I walked down the hall and I pulled up my, you know, my, my, you know, straight my shirt and, and I knocked on the door and, uh, and I, and I just 
faced her and I said, there are three things you need to know. And she took one of those little post-it notes, you know, the small ones. And she said, and that person said, what's the first issue? That's how I had to describe it in one of those little posts. What's the second issue? What's the third issue? And that person was really thankful that I actually then, you know, nobody else. So you have to have a bit of confidence and, and bravery. And uh, that's our job. You just got to get out there. And, and Pedro, I'm sure you've got lots of similar stories. I've got a good one. Um, my, fir my first couple of weeks at Oracle, Oracle had purchased uh, or had acquired um, Blue Kai, the first ad tech by, I guess, for Oracle. And I remember meeting with her in New Jersey uh, for a week. I went up there just to hang out and kind of onboard. And Bert was like, what do you know about ad tech? A little bit. And so he's like, all right, cool. Well, we're gonna, you're going to be our ad tech lead part of the team. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And so I get involved in the Blue Kai work. And um, a couple weeks into the job, there's this very senior meeting. And, uh, you know, I'm talking the highest levels of seniority at Oracle. Um, and uh, I'm, nobody knows who I am on the meeting except Bert <laughs> and, like, and, and, and Bert's boss. Like, these are the, I'm an, 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 anonymous, an anonymous person so far. And uh, somebody says something in the meeting, and I immediately push back, not realizing who it is, um, and just kind of go on a classic tirade about how that's just not the way to do this, and we should think about th this other way. Um, and the response from the exec was, who's that speaking? And I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is Pedro. I'm on Bert's team. And uh, he said, the, the exec said to me, are you mad or are you just stupid? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so anyway, but I, I went and reiterated my point once again. And then after the after that meeting, Bert calls me immediately and he's like, So Pedro, how do you think that went? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, Bert, not so good. <laughs> I got called mad and stupid in, in like 10 seconds. And, um, you know, while I definitely needed to calibrate my approach a little bit there, uh, Bert didn't discourage me from speaking up. You know, he could have just been like, hey, man, be quiet. You know, from now on, just listen. Like, that's a that's that's that person. You can't talk in those meetings until you've been here 10 years. Like, that was not the feedback. The feedback was very much aligned with what Bert is suggesting, which is continue to tell the truth. Do it in a way that execs are going to be receptive to it. And you'll build trust over time and have great relationships. Well, to that point, that executive who has since left Oracle and is now uh, an extremely powerful person in tech and runs a very powerful organization. Um, and I remain friends to this day, right? Um, and I became a trusted advisor of him. And then when Bert moved on to do other things at other companies, I kind of fell into Bert's role with that person and uh, was a trusted advisor in things and topics that are within my area of expertise, but also just kind of like a, uh, you know, like a whiteboard uh, kind of ally where we would just talk about more general things that he just wanted a, uh, you know, outsider's point of view on. So Bert's totally right, man. Like building trust is important. One of the easiest ways to do that is to, even if you're wrong, um, have conviction uh, in what you're saying. There's a nice, there's a nice, um, I don't even want to call it like a, it's almost like a veil of, a veil of confidentiality that comes with being a lawyer. So when you, you go get in a room with a person, they, and you let them, you, you know, you have to do the things that allow them to feel comfortable 
uh, up front. So yeah, like as Bert said, you have to have a relationship probably before you get to this point. But when they start, when you start, and some of that might be, you know, pushback, you know, in a, in a, in a sort of friendly way, you know, in, in discussions, you get to a point where they do feel they have confidentiality with you. And, and so they will, you know, I, I remember having this two companies ago in, in, in really depth with our head of people. It's like a lot of things we had been through a lot. And so there was a lot of like trust there. And I, and I, um, I think that's really cool. It's really cool to, I think from, it's really unique for our role that there's this sort of, I don't know, this, this cloak of confidentiality that sort of flies with you. And if you, if you take care of people, then, then it, it buttresses, you know, I think the lawyer's ability to be helpful and be effective in the organization. But you got to be proactive because it doesn't just happen. If uh, you, you kind of have to be there for an opportunity and make that uh, happen for you. So, you know, life has all these random things. It's interesting when Pedro was, was recounting that story, you know, Pedro, maybe your whole life, your career would have been different at that right before, because I may have told you at the time, I was considering that your main client support would have been this half billion dollar managed service uh, business that was highly complex because it was really managing uh, applications of customers. So it had a lot of, uh, a lot of depth to it and it, it was a big growing business. Um, and so I was thinking, okay, we, you know, we've got this business that needs to be manned and it's, and it's really complicated, but then we got this, these new ones coming in. And, you know, I was thinking Pedro is not from the usual, you know, in-house, you know, uh, background. Let him, let's see what he can do with the new business instead of working with the existing one. And so not no detriment on the existence is not a you know value or anything, but I but other people ended up working on the on the existing business. And I said, Pedro, you'd be really good at the new business. And 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 you just seized it, man. It's, uh, you were there and, and you just took it. No, I appreciate that. And and the truth is there's no way I have the role I have now but for the opportunity of you know, or or like your vision on. Blue which later became Data Logics, which later became all of the entire ad stack at uh, ad tech stack at Oracle. Um, and you're exactly right. Like, I mean, I knew I had dabbled in some ad tech before, but nothing too serious. Um, and uh, you know, over those five years that I supported uh, Oracle Data Cloud, my you know my entire career trajectory changed. And now I run a huge policy team at Facebook. Like that would not have been the outcome to your point, but for that decision, so. Thanks, Bert. I'll send you some flowers after the recording. But this goes back to the point uh, that we were making earlier, like uh, of like just kind of your ability to not only seize opportunities for yourself and your team, but for individuals on your team. I mean, Derek and I have talked, Derek Zoner and I have talked about this as well. Like, like your ability to position Derek well got him what he wanted to be a DC at a you know, he's a GC at an ad tech company, right? And 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 doing excellent. Um, I don't think Mark is the chief privacy officer at Oracle before, like the you know being in the trenches for three years on our, on our team, like learning, especially the you know the marketing cloud and data cloud part of Oracle, which is you know as we all know, like a high risk, high reward business that requires a lot of attention if you're a chief privacy officer, right? Um, and so. Uh, uh, Maria from our team who went on to Google years ago. She's there with you now, right? I think, right? Um, you know, Maria is another one who 
you know, was kind of like a quiet, quiet negotiator type and has blossomed into, you know, this world-class uh, cloud transactional attorney at Google. So anyway, the legacy goes on and on. I'm going to create like a graph of this. It's just, <laughs> you know, I like it's, it's unbelievable, Bert. It's unbelievable Boston, what you've been able to do. In Boston, it's like referred to as like the Belichick coaching tree. But oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I'm not like from here. I just live here. So I don't subscribe to that necessarily. But um, I think, I think it speaks to stuff that uh, Pedro, you and I talk a lot about, which is the, the pride you feel as a human in helping people along in their career. There's no, there's no points for it other than the points that you score personally that you feel. But uh, to me and us, those are huge. Those may be the most important points that we score. Like, I don't, I don't subscribe to the philosophy of, you know, having a person on your team and they don't go to a certain meeting or something like that. Like to me, that's bullshit. Like that's just junk. Like that, that person, you know, the fact that you were in that meeting and you spoke up and whether it went well, or it didn't go well. The fact that he encouraged you to stay in that meeting is great. Everybody needs to be in the meetings. And, and um, those when, when sometimes when you have some, someone that's working for you and they keep inviting you to stuff and finally you have to say, no, you got it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to this meeting. There's all these little things that add up um to give you those those in score those internal points and then score points for that person when their when their career you know explodes into something amazing and it may be the best thing we do yeah. let me give you let me give you another example of of just enabling Bert's like talent for enabling others right <laughs> a year you know i've always been on like the speaker circuit and done some of that stuff right but in the last couple of years it's really scaled like we have our own podcast you know like we've really kind of gone full hollywood in a sense um but early on you know uh, i do like industry panels and 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 the typical stuff bert was invited to speak at, at, at princeton is what it, yeah it's princeton and um he couldn't make it. I don't remember exactly why. I think it was. I think Bert, you were on, going on vacation. There's some reason you couldn't make it. I get a random call from Bert, and he's like, "Hey, I've got this thing at Princeton. I'm not going to make it. Are you interested?" I live in Washington D.C., by the way, um, and I'm like, "Oh, sure. Send me the details." And I look at him. I'm like, "Yeah, I think I could do this, Bert." And so Bert connects me with the organizers, and I go and I speak for the first time at an Ivy League school, Princeton, obviously. Um, let me tell you what that led to. That led to speaking engagements at Harvard at the Harvard Club, at the Yale Club. I've spoken at Berkeley. I've spoken at Boston College. I've spoken uh, at Tufts. I mean, I, the list goes on and on. And it all started from a little panel that I, that Bert could make at Princeton when those organizers organized lots of things like that. And so for a state school kid like me to go be invited to speak in Boston at the best schools in the world, and then all over the country uh, uh, in front of you know uh, academics and students, uh, is a tremendous privilege, but it just goes back to the point that I'm making that that, that I'm, I'm really trying to emphasize. You know, when you're in charge, and I've only known Bert as being in charge, right? Like he was my boss, my first boss, and and he's been obviously a leader most of the time, all the time I've known him. That is his way of operating. Like it's constant enablement. You know who else is really good at this? Andy, you. Like you're really good at this too. Is like finding links between people and things they'd probably be interested in and shine at. And then, uh, and then pointing them or nudging them in the case of Bert, kind of pushing me to do certain things um, in the right direction. And I've learned that from you guys, and I try to do the same thing. Um, 
And if more of us were like this, where we really were just thinking about how we can help others achieve their goals, even if they haven't identified those goals yet, you just see something in them that you know, suggest they'd be really great at one thing or another. If we spent more time doing that for each other, man, like, like we'd all be rock stars. It'd be amazing. Bert, where'd you pick it up? You know, because where'd you pick that up and go back a little bit in your career? You know, obviously you, you were leading teams when we were talking about it, but before that you, you were probably, you weren't always the, the leader of the team. So how did you pick that up and how did you kind of develop that? Yeah, it's interesting. That's a great question. Never really thought of where, where you know, sort of where the Nile begins, I guess, uh, sort of the, the source of the Nile. But uh, when I was a litigator, uh, I had a couple of partners, and I and I was thinking of this before our, our conversation today, and and they, you know, there was a couple things I learned from each of these partners, and uh, and. Um, and one of what, which is, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't be afraid of making a mistake, acceptable losses. And then, uh, and another partner basically said, you know, taught me that you can, that, it, you know, in, in law firm life or litigation, you typically want to find the right answer, but then, you know, you realize there's not always a right answer. So, so I kind of culturally also for me is that um, there are a lot of different paths. And, and there's a lot of different ways to uh, accomplish something. And, and winning, I think Derek Zollner said this, because uh, I, did, I did watch the, your, your, uh, your conversation with him. Uh, and and you know, Derek Zollner was saying is that, you know, you can win a case, but that may not necessarily be fulfilling for the client or even the, the attorney. So it's really been, you know, you know the goal is, is to, uh, is to uh, empower. You know, you want to you want to empower yourself. You want to empower those around you. You want to grow, and uh, and uh, but to do that, you need to have the the uh, the you know the, the safety and the confidence around you, and and working with the right team. You know, I I tell you, Andy, is that that I I took a really bad job once, which I I don't want to go into what it was, but it was a I ignored all of the red flags, and I went into this company. And uh, and I, I intellectualized it to say, well, I can do you know great stuff, and I really didn't like the culture at all. It was a bad, bad fit, and so I left pretty pretty soon after. Um, you know, for me personally, good company, but uh, but not for me. And uh, and it it really then real it, it told me that um, culture matters, and and your team matters, and the people you interact matters and that has to work for you so i've always viewed that that um i wanted to create um that for others i didn't want to go somewhere and sit back and 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 you know be like this and and you know complain if it wasn't done for me because it won't ever be done for you nobody's going to manage your own career or your own You've got to do that yourself, and you've got to and you've got to be proactive, and and you've got to create even the microculture we talked about. So that's kind of how I, I evolved. I was always very kind of uh, business minded. I wasn't. Uh, I did an MBA along with my law degree, so I was always kind of really interested in the in the execution and growth part of business plus law, and then plus tech. I've learned a ton from. I don't want to say the word bad experiences, but I've learned a ton from 
not just mistakes. I think everybody sort of learns from their mistakes, but like, as you described, Bert, like a, a decision that I made to go, go do something and go do a job. And, and um, it, it can, it may not crater you or anything, but it, it's always this, this really interesting learning experience that informs a lot of stuff. My first job in a law firm was, was unenjoyable for, for a lot of reasons. And, and without it, I don't have the job I have now. So it doesn't, it's all kind of dominoes in a certain way, good and bad. So I, I find that interesting too. I think the bad experiences. Oh. I've definitely found myself in the same position Bert was in, you know, I just, I ignored red flags, took a job that I had intellectualized. That's something that would be good for me to do and hated it and instantly. Like it wasn't even one of those things where it was like, oh, I realized this was a mistake over time. Like I, day one, I knew it was not going to be good. And it was, it's always cultural. It's always cultural. The work is the same in most places or at least similar, but like it was cultural and it, you know, great company, great people, smart, very successful, but just not a good fit for my personality, for my way of operating. And uh, it's hard to have the courage to be like, okay, I'm going to take a mulligan on this one and go find something else. You know, I mean, that's really what you have to decide to do. And it's, it takes a certain level of either insanity or courage to just break away because the sensible part of you is thinking, do the year, do the two years, do whatever. And like, I just didn't have that in me. I mean, a year, of, I have only got a finite amount of time that I'm going to be able to do what we do. And I'm not going to spend a significant period doing something that I'm not enjoying for protocol, unless I absolutely have to. And none of us are luck. We're all very lucky. We're not in positions to have to do anything. Um, and so uh, totally appreciate where both of you are coming from on that. Also, they're great learning experiences because I'll never ignore red flags again. <laughs> It'll never happen again. Great. Um, and I've been, yeah, never again. And I've been very lucky, like the last couple of companies I've worked, I mean, it's hard to beat Salesforce and Facebook. I mean, these the culturally, these are great places to be full of really smart people. And that brings me to the question I have for you, Bert, which is you obviously work at uh, a big logo. You work at Google and, and Google is always thought of as like a, you know, highly desirable place to work, you know, comp and culture and innovation and, and things like that. Having been at this longer than most of us or Andy and I, um, like what's your experience been like at Google coming in sort of as an incumbent? You're not there to learn. You're there. Well, of course you're there to learn, but I guess you're also there to teach in a way. Um, so what's that experience like? How's Google? Do you like it? How do you like it? And, and what makes it unique to you? Ha, it's a, so, uh, so I have, I had exactly um 10 business days physically at google before oh. all so, so it is kind of i you know it, you know it, we won't get into the whole you know uh work from home thing but it's uh, but that is actually you sort of notable with this experience and who would have known if you would have seen me on my on my nuclear orientation in this big auditorium in February with, with, you know, uh, I don't know, two, 300 people and all that, it, it would have been like, you know, to see that now would have been like, you know, run for your life. But it, so we were all there. Heard, did you say Nugler? Nugler. Yeah. <laughs> you never heard that? Like, you never heard that? There <laughs> we go. Every, oh, yeah. Everyone gets it. Everyone gets oh, it. <laughs> that is fantastic. I've never heard of that. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Do you get the hat? It's a whole thing, man. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta see, the, see the movie, the uh, the internship. I think it was okay. called. So, uh, that's uh, that takes place. But so so putting putting aside the you know the, the the work from home, I'll tell you they they hired me because 
Google um, is, and especially Google Cloud, needed to change their culture. They've got a great culture uh, existing for all the things that you've just said, Pedro. But um, what they're looking to do in these last couple of years, and especially in this last year and going forward, is to have an enterprise mindset. It was always very consumer oriented, and uh, and and they were having um, success, but they wanted greater success in terms of speaking to the markets when it came to especially regulated and, and large companies such as banks and, and public sector financial healthcare and you know you know all the big companies. Uh, they weren't good at connecting with those companies. So when Thomas Kurian came from Oracle, and you remember Thomas. Uh, he looked to hire some of the best people in the industry from business side, from technical side, very big hiring in Google Cloud. And then he also sponsored um, some build up for the legal team. And I was tagged as one of the people to help. So I came in as a and, and I'm here as a little bit of a change agent um, to help grow and do all this great stuff, but also culturally um, uh, advance the, the, the company, and especially Google Cloud, to be much more um, customer empathetic, uh, a little bit more execution oriented, a little bit more getting to uh, um, uh, to uh, getting to yes and getting to close business in collaborative ways, which they always were. Great culture, but uh, but as we're as companies are shifting from pure consumer to enterprise, that was the entree for me to come in. We just bought Looker though, and I couldn't get an indemnity. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that that I don't agree. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But the the truth is, um, uh, a service like Looker is a is a very good example. And there's that then infinite spikes off of Google Cloud that will create B two B business opportunity. I'm sure. I just I love like I'm a big Thomas Kieran fan and Burton. I worked with him. He may or may not have been referenced in some of the stories we just told. But um, uh, what's interesting about TK Thomas is that um, everything you just said, Bert, that Google is trying to evolve toward is you and him personified. Like so, it's like it, it, it's one thing to say, "Hey, we want to change our approach a little bit to speak the language of the enterprise and and understand and be compassionate and empathetic towards their specific needs, which are different than consumers." And it's another thing to execute on it. And I can just tell by the hires, like it, just by the hires, that Google means business, which is is Google means business. That's an interesting, but like that's the execution level there just seems high when Google decides we're going in this direction. They just, they just somehow do it. They just somehow do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could talk. We could talk to you forever, Bert. But <laughs> I think we have to jet off into the future. <laughs> well, I look Pedro's forward to get to the pool. I, Pedro, has I, gotta go, I gotta get to. I gotta get to these infinite calls I have the rest of the day. But um, uh, Bert, I can't wait to see you in person, man. Um, I appreciate your friendship so much and your mentorship. And uh, congratulations on the Google move. And uh, yeah, man. Like absolutely happy, well, happy that you joined us. Yeah, and and as I sign off here, I do want to answer one question you asked me uh, way before: Yankees or Red Sox? I'm I'm from the Bronx. I went to the Bronx High School of Science. Um, <laughs> it is Yankees all the way. <laughs> well, I was saying to a friend, yes, I'm from Baltimore, and I now live in Boston. And I I said to a somebody it was like well, actually one of our board members said at what point am i allowed to change 
Like <laughs> I've been here eight years and the Orioles are making it very, very hard to continue to be, to be a fan. So I appreciate your, your fandom of the Yankees goes back to your childhood. So I appreciate yeah. that for sure. The only outcome I want from a Yankees Red Sox game is a forfeit. <laughs> just on both teams. Like I don't, I, I just hate them both. But how funny! Yeah, shout, shout out to the Bronx for it. Yeah. Thanks okay. for joining us. Thanks for coming. Okay. Thank you for having me. Take care. Yep. Bye. Yep.